Welcome back to Leaf Promotions, the unsigned podcast. Hope you're doing well out there. I'm your host, John Scanlon from Leaf Promotions. This week we've got the brilliant Maisie Johnson from Queen Cult talking to us about all things unsigned. I hope you're enjoying these podcasts as much as I'm enjoying making them. Let us know what you thought about the first one or about this one once you've listened to it. Don't forget, as well as these interview podcasts, we're also doing Q&A episodes where we'll be inviting you to ask us for the best way to get your band heard. So feel free to submit them in the comments on our social media, at Leaf Promotions. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the usual places. So without further ado, let's get right to this week's interview. Here is Macy Johnston. So in our last full year of gigging for lockdown, Leaf ran 106 events. That's approximately 318 individual performances. But within that many nights, there's always like a handful of bands that stand out as exceptional, I would say. For me, one of those bands is Queen Cult, and I'm here today with the lead singer, Macclesfield's finest, Maisie Johnson. How are you? Hello, hello. I'm good, thank you. you? <laughs> nice to speak to you. How's lockdown treating you? Uh, it's very lockdown-ish, to be honest. Um, <laughs> ebbing and flowing. Um, I've been furloughed at the minute, so I'm kind of just like trying to make things up to do you know to make me feel like I actually have a purpose um <laughs> so um have you took up any new hobbies because I took up skateboarding and I've been cycling a lot I've been uh I've been making a lot of bread that's a bit is it banana is it the banana kind no because everyone's doing banana bread I'm doing proper artisan loaves I'm not messing oh amazing <laughs> better send me some in the post Oh, I'll send it over, I'll send it over. Well, hopefully it won't be too long before we're out of lockdown anyway. Well, uh, yeah, there is that. So at the time of recording, um, Boris is allegedly going to let us do gigs again from like June, um, <laughs> which will be amazing, obviously. And hopefully you're going to be playing one of our first ones back. Yes, 100%. I'm hoping so. Um, yeah, all, all confirmed on our end. So, I mean, yeah, please, please let that happen. <laughs> well, Boris be... better not turn around yeah, that... and say anything else. <laughs> I know. Well, that'll be a nice circle because you actually played Leaf's last event and you're going to be playing one of the first ones back. So it's nice We little... did. It was the 13th of March and it was at the Blossoms. Um, yeah. It was actually the, the last gig with um, our previous drummer, Art, as well, yeah. um, which we didn't know at the time. But obviously, you know, uh, band lineups change and, and whatnot. Um, and he seems to be doing really well for himself at the moment, which is grand. Um, but yeah, no, it's crazy how much can change in a year, right? So, so for, for anyone who hasn't heard Queen Cult, um, how would you describe your style of music? No one likes to kind of pigeonhole themselves, but if I had to push you. I love that. Do you know what? My kind of outlook on that at the moment is genre doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah. Um, there's so many crossovers. And I think there's for so us... Many, there's so many sub-genres as well now these days. Well, more than this ever. is it. I mean, you know, you can listen to an album and you can have a million genres within that album for that artist. Like, it just swaps and changes. And I think a lot of the time that kind of spurs on the fact that people just release a lot of EPs now because music's changing so much. And the industry is so saturated, so much music now that it's just starting to kind of obliterate. It's just kind of disappearing, dissolving. Um, But for us, I think... um, if you're going to generalise the genre, I'd probably say at the moment it's kind of pop rock, but then there's so many sub-genres within that that you can, yeah. you can literally change, you know. 
Um, we started yeah, to quite you, garage. You've got like elements of blues and heavier, heavier yeah, songs. Yeah, I mean, quite mellow kind of acoustic sounding ones. A lot of stuff's changed since you would have um, last heard us now. Um, yeah. Obviously, with um, a new drummer in place and a kind of new direction with it all. I mean, we've spent this past year doing a lot of writing, actually, um, like a lot of artists I know um, during this time. And I don't know, I think we're swaying a bit more pop now than we were previously. I think we were a bit more garage rocky as well, like with tracks like Sneaky Freak and stuff like that. We were kind of just knocking out the very live vibe. I love that chamber. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we still pop it in here and there, but it's such an early day Queen Cult song for us now that we're kind of not moving past it. But I think what we're hoping for this year is a bit of a rebirth, really, kind of starting over. So, you know, is that, genre... con- that conscious thing for any reason, like have we done that um, with a view to my, maybe being more mainstream or maybe getting signed <laughs> or is it just something you prefer to do? Do you know what? It's interesting, really, because, I mean, the word mainstream just makes people initially think, oh, sell out. Yeah, it's one of those. I I tend to... People cringe at. (laughs) They do, they do. And I think rather than using the word mainstream, um, I'd probably use more accessible. Um, I think we we want our music to be more accessible so that it can kind of appeal to, yeah, a broader audience, but not in a way that we're kind of going against what we want. We actually want to create accessible music, do you know what I mean? Um, But we don't want to become something we're not. I think the main point I was saying is obviously the sound's changing now that we've got a new drummer who's now playing with us. Um, And we're just kind of, yeah, developing off that. And basically it's changing. We're crossing over. There's um, a few electronic influences and pop influences coming into it. It still maintains a live feel, though, and I think that's super important for us is we want to maintain a live element in everything that we do. Yeah. But we're kind of developing layers and sounds where, you know, on bigger gigs we'll probably need a fourth player. So, yeah, it's basically just elaborating on what we initially set out to be. The last podcast that we did, um, I interviewed Matt Fryers, and he actually brought up the subject of your drummer indirectly because one of his favourite acts that he's ever seen live is a band called um, Mercury Field, which Brody was the drummer for. He's now your drummer. (laughs) Oh, no way. That's crazy stuff. Yeah, Yeah. he used to, he was in uh, Kings as well. He was in Kings, yeah. Yeah, no, he's he's a great... quality Stockport band. Absolutely. Um, No, he's he's a great guy, is Brody. And like, um, you know, if if people were to ask, have you, you know, replaced the new member of the band or anything, it's, it's kind of... Um, at the moment, because he's a session player, um, as it stands, you know, he's sessioning for us. But in the future, who knows where that will go. I mean, but yeah, they... historically, as far as I know, has been in slightly heavier bands than, than Queen yeah. in the past. So, so do you usually... think that's changed the way that you've been writing songs? Or... It definitely has had an influence, but in a positive way for us. So, yeah, he's obviously predominantly a metal drummer um, at heart. Um, you can tell if you just like warm up for the first five seconds, you're like, oh, here he is. <laughs> you can tell the size of the kit that he brings out is always oh, a metal size kit. Stupid you know, amount of symbols, stupid amount of sounds. He's a proper gear ad, but he's uh, he knows his stuff. Do you know what I mean? He, he doesn't yeah, he doesn't really mess good. about. Um, but he's he's been really good for us, and obviously Art being such a good drummer, he kind of set the bar really with what yeah. we needed to replace with. You know, so finding Brody was kind of a good thing. But yeah, it has changed the style. We are due to release some music at some point. I can't really say too much more about it yet, but we will get there. This this um, podcast, even though it's 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 called the Unsigned Podcast, but um, you're kind of a little bit further along, and you've got yourself like a management deal. How does that sit at the minute? So at the moment, um, it was literally just before lockdown. We met some management people. 
I don't know why we call them that. It sounds really corporate, doesn't it? <laughs> Management people <laughs> who basically spotted the track of ours. Well, it was Shindigger at the time on BBC introducing Stoke. And yeah, so basically we, we started a thing up with them and it's more, it's kind of like an early signing. It's not a major label or anything like that. We've just got management who also act as a third party for us right now as a bit of an accelerator to kind of help us get to a position where we can get an EP out in a better way and have more resources to write as well. Because you find a lot of unsigned acts and artists who don't have a lot of resources early on. You know, if you're studying at college or uni, you're fine because you've got studios there to work in and kind of work stuff out. But in terms of actually like renting out rehearsal rooms and that, it can get really pricey. I was going to say it can get very expensive very quickly when yeah. you're in rehearsal time, obviously buying your own gear. We, we all have musical backgrounds, so we have equipment and things that we've had over the years and stuff, and we have certain knowledge to be able to get like rough recordings down. But I think that was why the early Queen Cult stuff was very live-orientated, yeah. because we were literally at one point recording our sessions off like our microphone, just the one in the middle of the room, and it was like you couldn't really get the detail or the sound progressed off something like that. We've been spending the last year building a studio, that we've got set up so that we can obviously demo, we can progress our writing a lot more. And I think that's kind of why it's become more accessible as well. So it's been a really good process that we've got now because we can get in, we've got a space to rehearse, we've got a space to create. And we've done test shoots there um, to test out kind of visuals and aesthetics as, for ourselves as well. Because, you know, you've got to kind of match out the visuals of how you portray yourself as a band and your message I imagine down the line they'll help they'll be able to help with kind of uh, distribution and promotion and stuff like that as well it's actually yeah um, so it's very time for any for any unsigned band it's a big part of it it is it's a massive part and obviously with the management team you know we've got small pr and, and marketing things that they can take care of for us which is a lot a lot off our plate yeah, when you're diy handy. you're doing every aspect of it i mean before we had any help at all we were literally building band calendars on like the laptop and literally trying to do everything doing a release schedule so that's something a lot of unsigned artists don't think about doing is do a release schedule where you've got your spreadsheet and you make sure you get every element even down to like your social media posts everything you're going to do the timing of how you're going to do it to make sure you get the most out of it i think you definitely see more a lot more of that these days because there's so many more bands going down the diy route and working out ways to do it yourself without having to um to actually get signed by a label if such a thing exists anymore that's kind of a conversation for another show yeah i think the diy element so many more people are doing home recording because of obviously being being in lockdown and the thing with social media is being able to push your own material so much more accessible now with things like instagram and facebook obviously it's accessible but the algorithms are so screwed that it is hard to do without money. <laughs> this, is, this is something I talked about on a previous podcast as well, is how much Facebook during lockdown have actually just made it so much more difficult to actually get your oh, stuff up. Unreal. I mean, even beforehand, I think the algorithms were starting to just kind of not show interest at all to anything below a certain level. And I think the hardest thing to begin with is getting above all the noise <laughs> and yeah. to create your own buzz and like... Facebook for a while now, I think, has been like the least best one for music. I think Instagram's pretty good. Obviously, TikTok, everything goes very viral very quickly. But yeah. I think you have to be, you know, choose wisely what you do with that. But yeah, I've talked previously, even even things like Twitch, like, talk, oh, talk yeah. new style of um, of doing things, basically streaming stuff online. And like I say, Facebook has become one of the worst ones because it's so it's so kind of saturated. If you follow a few bands on Facebook, you're going to get constant newsfeed updates. Yeah. It's always a danger 
trying not to look like spam. <laughs> I get you. That's it. Exactly. And overposting, overposting yeah, which, literally screws you over. Which um, look like I'm constantly guilty of, but it's purely because we have so many gigs. <laughs> so it's hard not to look like that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's different. That's definitely different. Um, but the, the whole thing with Twitch, though, and like this, this pa- Patreon, is it? Yeah, yeah. There's a few other ones, but like I've heard as well that PRS and I don't know how you think of this, but PRS are trying to take a percentage now of anything earned from streaming. It's yeah, like you've already took enough from the live industry. Why on earth would anyone want to take anything else now? Especially in the time when we need social media more than anything, because mm-hmm. it's the only well, way yeah, to this is exactly it and I just I don't yeah I don't see where what the point of doing that would do because they're already pissing people off the government's already pissed enough people off like we don't need like more taken away I don't know if I've not had enough caffeine or I've had too much in this straight John <laughs> not even got down to like the first question <laughs> <laughs> so. But we'll crack on anyway. It's fine. I'll make it. I'll shorten it all down. Yeah. All right. So, how did you originally get into original music? I know, obviously, you played for me quite a number of times as a solo artist. And Queen Cut's been going, is it two years now, maybe? Maybe three, you know. It was maybe 2018, three. yeah. So, I imagine you started off as a solo artist. That's the first time that I saw you. So, how did you originally get into it? A good question, really, because I started playing. To be fair, I was actually a drummer to begin with. I was drumming at the age of 13. Oh, no, um, in it. When I got to about 15, I think I picked up a guitar, started playing covers, as everyone does that takes an interest in music. Um, and I started trying to learn to sing and play at the same time. And actually, do you know what? I remember because my mum used to write like a bit of poetry and stuff. And I remember one day she just kind of spurred it on and was like, oh, why don't you try writing a song? Yeah. And I was like... Do you know what? Yeah, I'll give it a go. Like, I had no idea like structure or arrangements. I just kind of need to rhyme words, and like, I didn't really understand it. I think um, loads of people who start early on in original music, they, they tend to have a creative parent or both parents who kind yeah, of yeah, that them does a little bit. That does happen, and like, so she did initially spur me on, really. So I'll give my mum some credit for that because I mean, if she didn't, who's to say I wouldn't have picked up a pen and paper? But I think off the back of that I started in my teens using it as a bit of escapism and just kind of a form of being able to kind of deal with any internal I mean like most artists I think that start off writing it becomes a form of like therapy in a way I grew up on a lot of mad music actually I like a lot of heart on your sleeve music so like Jeff Buckley yeah. um who well, to this day Buckley, is man. literally probably my favorite um I absolutely adore the guy um but then it was from that to like what my brother's grew me up on like new metal so like corn and like limp biscuit and freaking aerosmith and like so i had like all that kind of stuff um and then in between when i was around 15 16 i was listening to pop so it'd be like lady gaga and katie perry which right. is weird because <laughs> I, think that's a combination. I think yeah shows, one... i probably shows a little bit in your music because it is somewhere in between all of those styles the thing I've had, I think what I've always struggled as a writer is to identify myself as a writer because I often think that I sometimes can write a song and then I'll write something else and it's totally different. And I'm like, which bloody direction am I going in with this? Because one minute is pop, next minute, like you say, it might be like bluesy or whatever. And then next minute it's like thrashing away some like punk. And I'm like, I, I really struggle to identify my writing, but I think at heart it's more kind of heart on my sleeve stuff. But I went through like stages of aggression or whatever. And I think it's just, it kind of swaps and changes as you as you grow up and 
obviously with the band when Queen Cult started then it was like right okay so what does the band sound like you know and then it makes you change again and yeah I don't know it's weird like I feel like writing original music it just becomes like it is just part of who you are and what you do like I'm constantly writing at the minute and I remember going through like a stage of like writer's block but I've not had that for for years and I've written more recently probably through this past year of lockdown and everything more than than ever but I think most people probably that write have felt that way as well however loads of lots of people spoken today loads of musicians have said you're going to come out of this lockdown and every single song is going to be about isolation in it (laughs) yeah but then also do you know I'd argue that we've had this time to think and it's been quite a reflective year so actually like some of the stuff won't be about lockdown it'll be about stuff previous I think a lot of relationships broke apart and things like that happened through lockdown so I think there's going to be a lot of like literally like the littlest thing can like spur on like talking to someone new who isn't necessarily someone you actually know but you've like talked to people online through like gaming or something or I don't know just random shit like that can really like or even songs about what 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 they were kind of missing or what they liked about having the freedom in the first place so it could be a more positive spin on it I guess 100 we'll have to see we'll have to see what comes out of it You described on the Matt Fry's podcast, which I recently did, as, and I quote it, dead cool. <laughs> and it's you... always a recurring term whenever I'm men- whenever you're mentioned in conversation and, um, with other bands. That's always the number, the go-to word, believe it or not. Dead, I, don't know whether you, I don't know whether you're aware of this. Dead I had cool. no idea. <laughs> <laughs> dead I cool. Say, is this something you've actively worked on in terms of your stage presence? Because I think it's more to do with like the way you come across on stage. Obviously, you're, cool person. you're a cool person off stage. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just trying to like <laughs> let this sink in. It's dead bad, cool. Dead cool. That's so cool. <laughs> no, I feel like the most uncool person going. <laughs> so I'll why, take that. I think that's part of why you, why you, why you maybe come across as cool because I know that you don't probably don't think that you are. I'm an absolute <laughs> nerd, John. Like, I'm an absolute <laughs> geek. Like, I'm a bit of a gimp, right? But when I'm on stage, I suppose I can put the persona of maybe what I want to be perceived like. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Well, this is why I'm saying, is it? A, do you think it's an active thing? It's a facade. Doing? Yeah, have you worked on this in terms of your, te- of your stage presence to maybe act like someone you would like to be seen as? Do you know what it is? I don't even think that. I think it's actually just the true me. I think, like, it's weird. It's like, I see, oh, I'm a bit of a gimp or whatever. And, you know, um, you find a lot of the time musicians, and I'll openly say this and be totally honest with you, what you'll get is, like, a lot of musicians, that they'll come off, like, totally self-assured, really self-aware and they're there and they've got the presence and everything but you'll find that they're fragile in some ways um and like myself you know battled with self-worth um a a lot and and gone through my own personal stuff but the only thing that makes me feel totally secure is when I can perform and and do those things that I feel actually good about like do you know what I mean like I I totally get that I think there's loads of there's loads of it tends to be vocalists uh, well, they would openly say that um, they're a completely different person on stage than they are off stage. Yeah. And sometimes it's words and sometimes it's just they naturally feel at home performing. That's uh, it. But yeah, it can be a, it can be a way of letting out a different side of your personality, I suppose. Yeah, oh, well, 100%. I think there's something about being able to get up on stage and just have the audience at that moment and share that moment with a group of people who have no idea who you are 
and you have yeah. no idea who they are, but there's something that you can give them in that moment. This is why I love doing the, like the intimate gigs because I think that comes across a lot more. You get moments at kind of smaller venues as, as opposed to when I'm doing the large scale stuff like the 5,000 people stuff. But the ones where I'm doing like a room that holds 80 to 100 people, the vibe is completely different and the connection between the audience and the artist is on a different level. 100% with you there. I mean, one of my favourite venues is kind of like a very in-between like Manchester way anyway is Death Institute for that reason yeah, yeah. because at Death Institute yeah the, the capacity is what like 280 or whatever but there's something about that venue that even though it's 280 people there's something so intimate about it and I remember I think it's probably one of the favorite venues I've ever played at actually because it just I think because the stage protrudes slightly yeah it's kind it's of a just, weird shape venue isn't it yeah it is isn't it in like I don't know what it is about that venue but there's just something magic about it and like you can still feel fully connected to the audience and feel that they're fully connected to you even though it's quite a big venue definitely like other musicians probably get this as well like there's so many different elements um when you're a songwriter and when it's original stuff like with us as a band how many different moments you get so obviously you've got the live playing where you know we've all got chemistry and we're all like going for it like me and Layla will have like the eye contact on the stage where we're at that moment where we just... I was, literally, I was just <laughs> going to say that. You get loads of bands especially when they just... They, 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 they always remember a moment where they look around to the other band members and they all just feel part of something bigger than what it actually is, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like it's a real memorable moment when you just... You all know you're just in the groove or in the zone of, of doing the gig or whatever. It's, it's, it's to- a beautiful thing. It's totally flow-stating. It's at that yeah. moment where you're beyond just playing, you're actually performing... And like you, do, it's like muscle memory. It's like you don't even need to remember what you're playing or concentrate by this point because you're so in tune with each other. And it's just such an amazing moment to share with other people. Me and Layla have had moments on stage where we literally glance at each other, and it's like you know you're feeling exactly the same at that exact moment. <laughs> and it's like an incredible feeling because you're sharing it, and you're like, yeah, let's fucking have it. Like this is sick. <laughs> well, this, well, this is, um, is going to sound insane because from my point of view, obviously, I've never actually been on stage performing in an actual gig. But I get it from a promoter's point of view. When I know a band is really on it, I can look around at my friends and knowing that they feel exactly the same way as me about it. And yeah. we all just get that same feeling of like, this is a moment now. This it's is, magic, isn't it? This is it, yeah. It's magic because you're expressing so much in that moment. Well, it's the power of music though, isn't it, ultimately? It is the power of music. You've got that 100% right. Um, but there's also the stuff, um, I think the point I was trying to get to, I'm very long-winded, but the point I was trying to get to is the moments that we get when we're off stage as well. um so when we're creating the music so for instance obviously talking about the studio that we're working in and what we're doing at the minute we had this song which will be our debut single and we were writing it and we were like okay we've got this yeah something's missing and you're writing it and we were doing 10 hour days writing this track right (laughs) Um, and like Brody's on kit and we're like there's just one like pattern in the song and we ended up calling it the hell beat because it, it took him he, he made it so good that it took obviously hours to really kind of write that part on the kit so we had to work it into the track he worked it into the track but like it's so like in like there's so many integral bits to it that he was like i have to get this nailed so we were there like doing it and honestly like he absolutely smashed it it made the track but then we were still like, something's missing, something's missing. So then we came in the next day and then Brody burst through the door and he's like, this should happen here. And we all just went, oh my God. And it's like <laughs> another version of flow state, like a moment that you all share where the freaking light bulb's just gone ding, 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 ding. And you're all excited. <laughs> and you've literally just flipped the entire second half of the song 
it's gone it's dark as hell yeah. and you're like this makes so much sense now and before you know it you flow stating all these ideas out you're writing it and you're doing it and it's the same energy you get from obviously performing but it's a different part it's the writing part and it's the part people don't see I was going to say it must be obviously being in any unsigned band is hard work when you actually look at it the amount of work that goes in behind the scenes that people don't see like um, honestly you, you got to think like uh, right so as, as a as the songwriter, predominantly, obviously that's not just to say I just write because Layla writes as well yeah. um, and we do things together. Um, but sometimes I'll go off in my own little place where I'll go into the studio and I'll work on something. Or a lot of the time my tunes will start from when I've got my acoustic guitar, I'm on my bed and I'm like, oh, that's cool. Ten minutes pass, boom, entire song's there. And I'm like, right, sick. <laughs> go down to the studio and I'll try and arrange it a bit. So I'll do like MIDI kit bass you know i'll do a very rough follow the root notes kind of style so that if layla listens to it it's not gonna mess up anything that she would write in or or anything like that so i'll do a very basic so you leave uh, it kind of open to interpretation or slightly massively because i don't want to be the the guy in the band that goes right i've written the entire song so now we have to play it like this i'm not that kind of person i'm literally like i've written a bass version of how i assume the song would go but obviously the drum's simple, I've kept the bass simple because I want Brody to interpret the kit a certain way and I'd want Layla to interpret the bass how she would because it needs to be Queen Colt, not Maisie Johnson. Um, sometimes I think a lot of bands do have that one person who 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 decides the direction and everyone else goes along with it. There's, there's basically two ways of looking at it. It's that one guy who's in charge of everything or kind of the whole band as a full collective. There's no middle I think, ground. Yeah, I think it's always going to be compromises. There's yeah. always going to be compromise, but I think we all, we're very good at that. And I think we work on that. Like sometimes we'll write stuff when just from jamming. Like sometimes it does happen like that. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the time, if I've got an idea, I'll run away with it and then we'll go in. So you've got to think, you've, I think what I'm trying to say is you've got that main, you've got like the pizza base, right? Which <laughs> is you've picked up your acoustic guitar, you've sat on your bed and you've basically journaled out a song. Then you've got yeah. the source where you've gone in and you've done... Your, your bass, your guitar, very simple drum MIDI pattern. And then you've got the cheese. <laughs> and the cheese is everyone else pitching in and we're getting it down. And then you've got all the toppings at the end where, I mean, it's hours, John. It's literally hours. Like you spend weeks, you sit on it for a week and don't do anything. Then you come back and you've got more. And before you know it, you've spent 40 hours you know, on like one song, but you've made it a record. <laughs> yeah the hard graft is like the pineapple on the pizza it like, freaking like is pineapple do you know what <laughs> i love pineapple on pizza i don't care what anyone says when your opinion is the best thing about the unsigned scene in general so what? like that could be either playing gigs or like just being in a band uh the response you get from your own crowd or your own fans what do you oh, think so is like What's the thing that makes it worthwhile? I think all of it collectively. I think what makes it worthwhile. I mean, if I look back to why did I want to be in a band, for one, because obviously I was a solo artist for many years prior to, to Queen Cult. And I think the best thing, being in a band in the unsigned scene is everyone getting brought together. So the fact that you're bouncing off other creatives you get that chemistry with them and before you know it, you've created something together and it's a team effort and I think that's so super important and that kind of you figure out a lot through that because it brings such friendship as well like I mean me and Layla live together um so you know I was gonna say it must be a massive help especially during Covid times to actually live with someone who's in your band as well that's a massive it's super advantage. helpful 
I mean, Christ, it's so funny. I swear to God, we've become so accidentally codependent. Like, we were brushing our teeth together the other morning. I was like, what the fuck is going on? I was like, get out of my life. <laughs> she was like, get out of mine. I was like, right, fine then. Um, but we're dead chilled, the pair of us. Like, we're, we're, we we said this the other day. Like, we're like sisters. Like, we're like platonic soulmates. Um, so literally living with each other is actually pretty easy. Um, you know, we tend to get moments where we write or stuff here as well so it's been really good but I think that that's the best that's probably one of the best things is it's a moment that you can share with someone and end up with friends for life through doing this it's not even just doing the music side of it it's actually becoming part of something yeah and I think that's just really it's it's just really so it's basically like the bonding that you form with your other bandmates yeah it's amazing and the fact that you can create something when you actually go to a gig do you find that you tend to network with the other bands you find that same kind of bonding within creatives that are outside of your band it's funny because like, there's so many memes and stuff isn't there like can i borrow your amp yeah. and, and shit like that and it's dead funny and then you get it where like some bands are like looking at you like mm, they're on next and it's like this kind of rivalry and you're like oh my god get over it <laughs> we're all bands we're all here doing the same thing like... one of my one of my yeah one of my biggest gripes is when bands maybe go on early at, at a gig and then they literally leave at the end of their own set and they do not support any of their artists. Oh, I don't. Insane. Don't. Like, and do you know what? Like, we're all in this together. Like, support each other. So, so, yeah, sometimes it is like that, but sometimes there is some really supportive fans as well. And I, I had wish I'd see a bit more of that because I think sometimes it is a bit... And I don't know if it's different because, well, and this isn't even just by coincidence, this is quite often um, me and Layla specifically will roll in with our guitars and some of the looks we get, I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> you are kidding me, right? Which is amazing because it fuels the set even more because you're like, you know what? We're going to have this. Yeah, you now. need to use that anger. Towards and you smash it and then you walk off and then the faces are totally different. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's so funny. But it's like the fact this is even a thing, the fact that we even have to prove ourselves just freaking says everything. Like, it's not okay. You know what? I've genuinely seen it before, and this is absolutely shocking. But I've seen it more times than you would care to know. It's um, like when we're walking in with, with instruments, and instantly people presume that they're carrying the instruments for the boyfriend. And the boyfriend. Yeah, playing. that has that has happened. That has happened. I think the one I had it was just before Queen Court, and I was still a solo artist at the time. And this group of guys were all around, and I walked in with my guitar, and this guy goes, "Oh, are you the singer?" And I was like what and his mate was like don't <laughs> and he was like, what no I didn't mean it like that I just meant you know you're the the vocalist <laughs> and I'm like I'm not being funny but like if I was a guy walking in with a guitar you would not go oh are yeah. you the singer it wouldn't even like, be a question yeah it wouldn't yeah. even you'd literally go hi mate probably shake his hand and go are you in a band are you an artist what are you doing you just yeah. went straight to an assumption and that really wound me up and by the end of it it was quite funny because he came up to me and shook my hand and was like that was a really good set and i was like yeah thanks sick yeah but you shouldn't <laughs> have to prove anything to him from the moment you walk into the venue you shouldn't well, like, he shouldn't be waiting to say i wonder if she's actually good or not literally like it's, it's not okay it's not okay um well that leads on actually because I, I kind of pre-warned you that i was going to mention a topic that has recently come back on doing the rounds again on social media the actual post or the actual thing that happened is about six or seven years ago and it was in venue don't know if you know this story okay uh, they specifically put a post out saying uh just to let you know we're no longer accepting female fronted rock bands because our customers don't don't like the way that that women sound when they sing rock music. 
Um, <laughs> can you imagine the backlash that happened on the back of that? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Sorry, I'm just letting uh, that churn around my mind for a minute, John. Just let it me on that. Shocking, I know. But that's yeah. how, that's another thing that a lot of female artists have, which is having their band listed on either social media or on posters as a female fronted in inverted commas band. Do you so, think it's necessary to have your gender listed on promotional material for a game? I don't think it's necessary to have your gender listed on anything, to be honest. No. Um unfortunately Oh, where do I begin with this one? Jesus Christ. Right. So um, it's funny because sometimes even me and Layla in in speaking will, if we're talking about marketing or something with our management or whatever, sometimes you will end up saying it yourself as well. Female fronted and you're like, oh, I fucking hate that. It's, there's um, a band called The Franklies. And I don't know if you've heard of them. And basically, they've got a hashtag around that, you know, female fronted is not a genre. And they've yeah. got it on their merch as well. We know, like, the Leeds posters went around as well about um, 50-50 on festivals, saying, like, you know, all the festivals are, you know, male-driven. There needs to be more female bands. And then automatically you get a lot of guys go, well, that's not fair, because then that lessens our chances if we're just letting females in just because we need to make it equal. I don't get that. And I'm like, one, don't make it about you. It's not about you. Yeah. <laughs> Two, yeah. it's not about giving you less of a chance. It's about giving females an equal chance. Go on for England about it, John, and I won't, because <laughs> you'll be here for another three hours. It'll but... be a hell of a long podcast. Yeah. But when I wanted to be in a band, I wanted to be in a band with women. Now, I don't know why I wanted to do that at the time. I can't really remember. But I wasn't like, it needs to all be women. I wasn't, it needs to, do you know what I mean? There's always been diversity in our band. We've always had like a male drummer. Like, that's just how it's happened. But did you purposely go after like a, a majority female like, kind of makeup of the, of the band? Because Queen Cole is two thirds female. Well, this is it. I mean, to be honest, like Layla was the first other member like literally I did a gig it was like I'm looking for musicians to join a band she was at the gig was vibing off what I was playing and then we just tried at the bar and she was can I audition and I was like audition yeah let's jam and we jammed got got off on the right foot was like oh mint um ended up with a female drummer to begin with actually um but then she ended up with a different opportunity, so she left, and then Art came into the band. So it was, but it wasn't like, oh, well, he's a man, he can't be in the band. It was never like that. It was just a, it just kind of fell that way. But I just didn't want to. It's kind of like me and Layla just started out doing what we were doing, and it just worked. It just felt right. And then yeah, we got a drummer, and it was. We've always had this thing of like equality. It's never been, you know, women versus men. It's not men versus women. It shouldn't have to be like that. I mean, literally, all people, all women are fighting for it at the moment in general, whether it's music or pay or anything, is literally just to be freaking seen as equal to men. Like, that's least not a lot to ask for, is it? Music's so accessible and saturated now that there is more diversity happening. I would yeah. like to see it more in festivals. I think it is slowly but surely happening, though. Um, in terms, in terms of gigs, we're getting more and more bands like Square Wild, uh, sure. Nova Story, yourselves. And we've got loads of uh, female singer-songwriters. It seems like, hopefully, there are more women getting into music in the first place. But then, in terms of Leaf, obviously, we can give them the grassroots opportunity. It's then on to the labels and the and the other the larger companies to then go and push that and choose to sign bands like that. Regardless, exactly. just, just down to the quality of the music. It shouldn't be about what, what gender you have. This is it. It really shouldn't. 
I think it is just the stereotypes of style of music as well. But like I said, genre is kind of breaking apart now anyway. So I think it's just going to be more fluid as time goes on. And I hope that's the order it still changes. It's just when people go against it and see it as like it's a wrong thing that I just don't understand. This is how, this is how long ago we, I asked that original question. What's the worst thing about the unsigned scene? <laughs> <laughs> Um, the worst thing about the inside scene okay so one thing I've always praised that you do as a promoter is no matter what one you actually promote the gigs you actually do your job two you always make sure you know travel costs are covered which I think is a big thing in the fact that you make sure between the venue yourself and the artist that that's done is so respectful because you're helping that artist by Obviously, just getting some form of experience. You're helping them by networking with the other people that are there. You're helping the venue. So much is happening from that, which is great. But you're doing it the right way. And what's so crap about the inside scene is most promoters aren't like you. (laughs) Um, Something that I've mentioned on other podcasts a lot recently and and, and on the early ones of this podcast is uh, pay to play. There'll be anything. Is, mm-hmm. is maybe the biggest travesty that currently exists on the unsigned scene. I cannot, I cannot abide it. I don't understand why, yeah. why, how it still exists in this day and age. I know it's it's different when if when you're at a level of being signed and you're gigging for like I don't know like DHP or like Kilimanjaro or you know like these big big promoters, but like you have kind of an understanding and an agreement between you that it is different at that level. But yeah. from an unsigned level, when they're doing pay to play, I'm like, where are their heads? Like, that's it. Cause it's I'm, I'm talking about our level could be defined as maybe grassroots level. It's the early stages of bands kind of getting together and working the yeah. way up and building up, like, like you say, building up experience to do live, live gigs and hopefully developing a reputation at these smaller size venues. So most of our venues are kind of 100 capacity, but we do up to um in manchester we do like 250 capacity up to larger scale festivals the biggest size festival that i do is 5,000 people over three days so that at, that at this grassroots level there's no way that you should have the cheek to demand money off people who are not doing it for any particular profit but i mean for you for those who are listening who, who haven't heard me talk about pay to play before it's basically a system where you're allocated a certain number of tickets and for a set price and if you don't sell those tickets you owe the promoter the money which is just a real shoddy way of operating at the end of the day any promoter couldn't work without the bands who are playing for them it just wouldn't exist so exactly. to, to, to ask them to pay money is just shocking i think as well like like you were just saying then like at the grassroots level um you know you're at a stage where you're trying to gain a fan base so yeah. how can you be like yeah it's five quid to get in who, who are you selling them tickets to other than your friends and family at this stage exactly. like how can that be expected what, I mean, what, pay, what to, you... pay to play is dominant in city centers because they class themselves as venues which are maybe cooler shall we say oh yeah of course um, they or, but they're, i mean they're no better than the ones that, that are in all the suburbs and that's something else i've talked about before is why you should play the suburbs over city centers when you're starting out because you're just going to get ripped off when you start out <laughs> 100%. In, in, in Liverpool and Manchester have got a real problem with certain kinds of promoters who just rip bands off. 
100%. And I'm with you there. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's bullshit, really. Um, so that, I think, I think we probably both agree that's probably the worst thing about the unsigned scene is unfortunately most promoters do not go the right way around it. They just see it as a short-term way to make money. And that's why Leaf has been going for so long, because I like to think we've got a good um, ethics in the way that we do things and maybe built a better reputation off the back of that, from what I hear anyway. But I've been 100%. No, we've, we've always <laughs> regarded you as, as, a, as a good promoter for that reason. That you've, you've always kind of respected, you know, plus the sound's always really good because you're actually good at oh, your job. So. Thanks, mate. <laughs> Self-taught no lessons. There you go, there you go. So... <laughs> And we've I'm always respected that you, you always reach out to us as well. So like, it's never like we're it's a chasing game where we're like, oh, you know, we, we really want a gig, we really want a gig. You're always like, there's an opportunity here. Do you want it? If you don't, that's fine. Just let me know. Well, that's another thing between what I think is the difference between these gigs as opposed to Manchester gigs is I could pretend to be a band in Manchester now. <laughs> I could I could approach a promoter with a pretend band and say, oh, I can play this gig and I'll sell 25 tickets, and I won't have to even show them any material or anything. And they'd give me the gig because I could sell a certain number of tickets. Yeah, it's what my I do is What I do is actively go and find bands that I think are good and ask them to play, which seems like an obvious thing, but it's really not obvious if you're playing City Centres. You're, you're actually so right as well, because there's been so many nights where like either we've played or especially early, early days, like really early days where we played and the bands were either very young and you know we were inexperienced ourselves to be fair so that's not a knock on to anyone else but like you know the gigs in the organization of them would be so bad like the sound would be bad some band members wouldn't have like any equipment and and just really unorganized and no communication or anything and just really the, the promoters in manchester especially don't even go to their own gigs yeah, no, they don't. They you don't just send a rep, and the rep doesn't necessarily know what's going on or what kind of. I've been a rep, and it's tail. awful. Yeah. <laughs> I've it been was. a rep previously, and it's awful. Um, <laughs> so bad. Um, but yeah, no, exactly. And you know, then it comes to your gigs. I don't think I've ever. Well, no, I just haven't ever been to one of your gigs and not gone. Holy crap, that artist was amazing. I mean, I could literally to name a few. You got Dave Gorman, Matt Fryers. Yeah. Uh, Katie O'Malley. Um, I think you did Man of Science. Um, yeah. Christ, how many more? I remember when Cassia did Leaf gigs as well. Um, yeah. in that early days, I mean, everyone that you've put on, I've gone, Jesus, like <laughs> these are really good. Um, so yeah, I think this is why I wouldn't. I don't understand why promoters wouldn't want to like. Surely, if you're getting if you're getting into a promotion job in the right way, you're doing it because you love to see live music, so you want to see the better bands, right? So even if I wasn't getting paid for it, I'm getting to handpick bands that I want to watch. So what's the fault in that? Is it? Absolutely. The only other way to do it is to get into it for the money, which is the most short-term way of thinking about it. And you're not going to last beyond a year. At least it's been going for how many years now? 16 years now. Well, it it would just get harder and harder to find the bands because the bands won't want to play. Exactly. So, yeah, it is stupid. So, um, talking about acts you've seen before, this links in quite nicely, actually. Who were the top three unsigned acts or bands that you personally have ever seen live, whether you've gone to a gig yourself or you've been playing the gig and you've seen other bands? Oh, my gosh. That is a hard one. I would have to say 
There's so many. Um, oh, Manchester oh scene is strong, to be fair. Yes, Manchester scene is strong. Do you know what? Someone who's doing really, really well at the minute, and I'm not sure, and don't quote me on this, because I'm not sure if she is signed now, because she's doing ridiculously well, but Elise Mason. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw her about two or three years ago at the Whiskey Jar on one of Joe McAdams' nights. I just remember watching her play um, Hunt Me Down um, live about three years ago with my mate Andrew, who's a Stockport lad. Um, And I think he's come to a couple of Leaf gigs as well, actually, Andrew Espley. Shout out Espley. (laughs) I have to get him to listen to it now. Um, (laughs) And we, we went to one and she sang it and we both just looked at her and was like, whoa like when you just hear a song and you're like that's a big song and i was gonna say that lo and behold a year and a half later look what happened the recording on that track is absolutely brilliant she managed to get on some spot some big spotify spotify playlist that kind of blew it up yeah she did hundreds of thousands of listens now i saw that she's absolutely slamming tiktok as well at the minute she's doing the right thing about it so she's absolutely killing it really good on social media actually i'll give her kudos for that yeah 100 um so she's got to definitely be in my top three this is so hard because I know what will happen is I'll come off this podcast and I'll be like, damn it, I sort of said that person or, or okay, that say, say someone who you're most likely to see when you come out of lockdown. Just come off the back of the field. Venus. Venus, great band. Leeds. Not sure. Again, don't quote me. Don't know if they're signed or not yet. But if they're not, they should be. Great band. Uh, definitely to be looked up. What kind of style of music is it? Very, very rock, uh, kind of goth rock. Right. Very, very cool. You, so you've gone from Elise Mason to goth rock. <laughs> like in the mix. Like well, the mix. We, we did a gig with them at Jimmy's uh, 2019 now, considering 2020 is not really a fucking... I think most people have wiped out 2020 from the memory now. It's gone. Yeah, literally, exactly. So let's just say it was last year. And it, it was one of the last gigs we did. It was a great lineup. So yeah, that definitely Venus. And we'll actually give a shout out to um, Science because they're a great live band they have a lot of energy it's science but with like a psy they got just like a heavy energy band do you know what i mean there's like i think there's about five of them and they've just got a lot going on they've got synths going on and it's just like energy so from a live perspective great and they've got a really loyal following as well like because they're stoke based all their followers are stoke so like they can pack somewhere out so quickly it's really good so it's really good to network with bands that come from a different area when it comes to kind of swapping gigs as well if you can there's loads of times when I've seen bands from different kind of counties who will, let's say, go and play in a venue with a band that's well known from Stoke, and then that same band comes over and gets all the following that, that this band may have in Manchester. So I know you said way three. Of networking. I know you said three, but just for that reason, because you just reminded yeah. me, if I'm going to be loyal to Macclesfield, I'll say the Virgin Marys because they are a band that do that. They yeah. can literally bring the entire entire Macclesfield to wherever yeah. they're going. <laughs> it's insane. Play for me and for about two years in 2007 to, to about 2009 yeah, I remember them actually getting signed I remember the day it happened because I went to a gig in Stockport uh, just before they played for me but someone had told me about them and um, the whole room was just full of suits people wearing suits and I was like this is not the normal crowd for this kind of night kind of funky, funky metal venue and, different uh, back then though isn't it it was so corporate yeah. back then like with know, label stuff you'd never see that now I mean, there's, no, there's, there's always myths around Manchester. Manchester promoters do this all the time, saying, "Oh, you might get a scout down at the venue. We've had scouts down at the venue before." I've done a lot of gigs, and I've only probably seen scouts maybe four times in 16 years that I know of, or have heard of it happening. It doesn't happen. 
Yeah, it doesn't. All, end- all they're looking for now is have you got a massive social media following? Right now, we'll go and listen to you. That's how. It's yeah, done. literally. Have you done the work yourself, basically? Exactly. Whereas they used if, to work if, you. Yeah, up. if you've done all the groundwork for them, then it makes their job so much easier. Exactly that. Um, I will do a fifth because <laughs> it's just come to me. No, very quickly because I think these guys were signed, but I think they're doing everything DIY now, uh, and that's Low Island. Definitely check them out. They're kind of. I want to say like pop indie electronic. They've got a track out at the moment called Feel Young Again. It's an absolute track. Oh my God. Like, I don't know what it is, but I had it on repeat last week so much. Like I'm really vibing off them at the minute and they're doing everything themselves and they're doing it well. Like, so definitely check out Low Island. I can't think where they're based though. I don't know if they are actually based locally. That's all right. As long as it's unsigned, we can, uh, we can check but out. But they are doing everything got some DIY. social media presence, yeah. Yeah, they most bands are these yeah they, they played BBC Intro a few years ago. I know they played that up in Leeds um, and they were doing really well. So, yeah, they've obviously got some knowledge from maybe doing that then. And then they've just gone, let's just do it ourselves. Only the five then, yeah? <laughs> yeah, only the five. I will leave it there, sorry. <laughs> Alright, this is the point in the show where... Every week we ask three completely random questions, right? Okay. But I haven't prepared you for and you haven't seen. All right. It'll be either pretty stupid or, I don't know, mind-numbing, depending on how Oh, God. Right. Number one, would you rather be able to talk to the animals or speak all foreign languages? Oh, definitely talk to the animals. Animals are better than people. <laughs> I kind of had a feeling you were going to say that. 100%. <laughs> like, I would... Oh my god, yes. If I could communicate with my hamster Keith, I'd be <laughs> I'd be got... abs- I'd love to know what goes on in her head. Like honestly, like me and Layla have got a hamster. Um and she's called Keith. She's literally Satan. Like I'm not even kidding. Like she's not a cute hamster. She will bite your face off. Maybe you don't want to be speaking to this hamster if she's like Oh no, I'm intrigued. I wanna know what she she'll probably st- say stuff to me like, you know, feed me bitch. Um, like, you know, just ask her why she's so angry all the time. Yeah, it'd be amazing. <laughs> uh, okay, what is the one film you've watched more than any other in your life? And you have to be honest, you can't. Even if it's dead cheesy, you still got to say what it is. Uh, uh, what film have I watched the most in my life? I'm trying to think of something I've overwatched. It's got to be something from when I was younger. I was going to say it's always one from when you're like, yeah, early teenage years. Normally, I'd say probably the Truman Show. Oh, classic. What it's a classic, but I can't watch it anymore because I overwatched it. <laughs> How long since you last saw it? Oh, God, two years ago? Yeah, so just put it back on Netflix recently and I watched it again. Oh, no, I can't. I can't do it again. I can't. Oh, it's, the, it's one of those films where you come out of watching it and you're walking outside and you're thinking, is this? It literally, it's, it's not that. <laughs> you'd be brushing your teeth and you'd be like, is there a camera in the mirror? Yeah. <laughs> okay, here's one that... I'm pretty sure you. I know what the answer is going to be, but would you rather say everything on your mind or never speak again? So at all times you have to say what you're thinking, or you're never allowed to talk ever again. I'd probably speak my mind. I pretty much do that now anyway. Would to you? Be honest. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were going to say the opposite because it's too dangerous. No. Oh no. I pretty much say what I think anyway now. But <laughs> stop it. Why not? No, I couldn't not speak again. I'm too much of a talker. Don't know if you've noticed, John. <laughs> So if you had one piece of advice to give to a new a new artist starting out, one thing that you've learned from like 
doing doing the amount of gigs that you have over the last few years, what would you say is that the most important piece of information to take? From right now, that's a big question. <laughs> it's going to have a big answer. <laughs> um, the most important thing I would say is get used to your surroundings as quick as possible. If you're wanting to get your music out there, network, talk to fucking everybody. Talk to everyone around you at every gig you attend, whether you're playing or whether you're going. Follow social media. Just literally just use everything about you that you can access. You can make music in your bedroom. Again, research, Google, look at what you need, get it put together and get doing it. Like just utilise everything you possibly can. Don't sit back and wait for something to come to you because it won't. But then equally, you know, don't through desperation, just spiel a load of crap off. What you need to put forward needs to have substance. So, yeah, my piece of advice would be to keep going with it, keep having faith, but just knowledge is key. Yeah, that basically just you have to just know as much as you can. And, and, you know, there's no point just being a bedroom artist and then going out there and expecting people to just listen because they won't. Um, So you need to just get to know everyone and everything, basically. It's definitely hard graph to get to the top level. It's interesting you said about networking as well, because I think something that bands often overlook is they'll talk to the other bands playing but they'll kind of ignore the general customer in the crowd. And there you need them just as much. The general customer in a crowd could literally be just someone who likes your music, but then they could also be a graphic designer or yeah. they might know 100%. someone who's a great photographer yeah. or they might or they're, know... Or they're another promoter or they know a promoter. Exactly. Or... So you have to make sure you talk to everybody. And I know that's really hard to do after a gig sometimes. Like sometimes I need like half an hour. Like I came off one gig and I was so fucking pumped. I was like, oh, <laughs> like shit like I was so like I, I can't even explain I'm literally pacing my room right now literally just trying to explain this to you but like so expressive that I needed to just go calm down and people were trying to talk to me and I was literally like I'll get to the door eventually I'll get to the exit I'll get to the exit and I literally just was like just but at the same time how lucky was you know I to have these people coming and saying that was a great show like and you can't no, take that for granted at the same time so you're just like shit what you, know, you need to interact. I mean, even if you come off stage and you think you've had a bad night or the sound's not been right and you don't feel good about it, you still need to do that networking of speaking to people and at least there's always going to be people who still enjoyed your set and they're the ones you want to keep hold of. Exactly, John. And also as well is to remember that when you do have a bad set or the sound's bad, don't beat yourself up about it. It's one gig out of a million you're going to do. You li- And then if there's something that was wrong or didn't sound right, think about what that was and think, well, for next time I know to do this instead or, or this will be better or you know this will improve the way I look at it but don't don't you know beat yourself up as though it's such a problem of what you've done it could have been the sound it could have been anything but just remember that that's one gig out of a million and I don't believe in this whole thing of like one night can change your life either because these days yeah. people are, are going to look at you know, multiple events and, and when someone events. says to you it'll be great for exposure just kick them yeah. in the head <laughs> that's probably the best piece of advice yeah yeah, it's kicking me in the ass. Just drop kick the fucker and move on. <laughs> so, uh, any upcoming projects? Obviously, you said, I think you said you're going to be recording new stuff with the new management. When can we expect yeah. that to be released? So, obviously, I've done a recap on the year so far. So, we've been writing and getting it all sorted together. You can expect that there will be some music coming this summer. Obviously, we've held off. This will be our first kind of release with management now and kind of the first release of the rebirth of Queen Cole and the kind of new take on us. So we didn't want to release anything too soon with there not being a live industry because we really need that to kind of fuel 
the fire you know we need we need we need that to be able to push forward um you know we were going to do a tour 2020 but obviously that went <laughs> uh, we did have dates lined up um, we do actually have some festival dates, though, coming up. Obviously, we're doing a gig with yourself and we'll be doing your city festival in Stoke. We'll be playing Hit the North Festival up in Newcastle and we'll be doing Macclesfield in October. So we've got all these gigs coming. But It's amazing how fast these gigs are coming back now, isn't it? That's freaking crazy. honest honest to God, we had nothing in our diary to like oh, six man. dates in our diary and we're like, oh, my, shit. My email at the minute is insane. <laughs> is it just like, bing, 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 bing. Absolutely crazy. That's so good, um, though. I know it's brilliant. Let's well, let's just hope it it pans out. <laughs> That's all Absolutely. Um, so links to socials. Links to socials. If you literally type in at Queen Cult Band, you'll get us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, everything. So at Queen Cult Band, we'll get you everywhere. Uh, as for music, like I said, we've not really got a date in mind at the moment, so I can't really yeah. put it's anything. It's currently forward. only one. There's only one, uh, currently one recorded track on your Spotify. Uh, yeah, so we've got Shindigger up at the moment. Um, I don't know what we're going to do with that track, but it's up for now, so that's all good. But yeah, I mean, yeah, summer. You will hear something by summer, which we are excited about. But once we've kind of got things a bit more in order, we'll obviously have dates and stuff. But yeah, it's cool. Right. We're super excited because it's, a bit, you know, it's kind of just growing out of the Shindigger era and going into something totally different. Yeah, I'm intrigued to see what kind of the new new direction you're going in. I'm looking forward to the new stuff that you're putting out. Yes, us too. We're really looking forward forward to it. It's a shame Layla couldn't obviously be here today as well. You think I'm a talker? If you imagine two of us, you're going to be there for about four hours. <laughs> It'll be a four part of that one. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate it. It's been great chatting to you. No, thanks very much, John. It's been a pleasure being here. So thanks for having us. And hopefully, I'll speak to you again soon. Absolutely. <laughs> See you in a bit. Bye. Mezzy Johnson. I suspected she'd be very entertaining and she did not let me down. Hopefully you enjoyed that one folks. Once again, hopefully we'll catch you next week with more interviews, more question and answer podcasts. Let us know what you think about the ones you've heard so far and contact us at Leaf Promotions on all the usual social media sites. Once again, soon we'll be having a Q&A episode where we'll be giving hints and tips for all new and upcoming original bands. But in the meantime, have a great day. Thank you for listening. Catch you next time. Bye.